Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Breaking Down the Doors, the podcast where we talk all things Vandy Athletics. I'm Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt beat reporter with the Tennessean. I'm here with Gentry Estes, a columnist for the Tennessean. Which Vanderbilt teams are moving forward? Which are moving backward? Now, I don't I don't believe in the, uh, well, maybe you're just kind of standing still. I, I believe in the adage you're either moving forward or backward, and I think that goes for SEC sports especially. We're going to use that sort of a setup to look at signing day, which is, boy, it's about a week from now. Gentry, do you like the, do you like the December signing day as opposed to the old February one? It was always such a holiday. You know, that, that first week of February, you would, you would have the big signing day events. I, I covered several different SEC programs, and in every case, it, it, was, a, it was a happening. At Georgia, the fans would show up at the football complex in, in droves. Yeah. Coach would come out and address them. I mean, it was, a, it was an annual event. And uh, it appears we've lost that. I, I, you know, I don't like it. I've never liked it. I, I, I don't like it for, I think it was intended to help curb costs. It didn't do that because now they're just recruiting ahead to the next year and spending every bit as much money to do that as they were, if not more. But it also hasn't helped the the kids themselves in a lot of cases because, uh, you know, again, on a tangent, last year, I, I covered a, a, a player in, in Louisville named J.J. Weaver who signed with, with Kentucky. had a pretty good freshman season. He wanted to wait to sign until February because that's when his friends were doing it. And he wanted to do the ceremony and do it with them. So he, so he had said, you know, I'm not going to sign in December. Well, when he said that, Kentucky fans freaked out because, well, he's going to flip to Louisville. That's he's right. he's going to go somewhere else. You know, And I think it puts undue pressure on those athletes who may not be ready to sign in December to go ahead and, and sign, whether or not the pressure's implied, because if they don't sign, the coaches are then going to have to recruit past them to fill, they're going to need to move on. They're going to need to know who's coming in most cases. So I, I think you just kind of move up the calendar in such a way that, that makes it it makes it tough for everybody this time of year. It changes leverage some somewhat between coach and prospect. Uh, yeah, it, it allows for more freakout moments. Wait, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? It, it, that sort of thing, which you're talking about. I think it depends on your perspective if it's better or worse. I think if I was a fan, then I think I would like the old way. The let's kind of the anticipation of that February date because right now I think it kind of gets lost. It's season's over, or hey, we're going to a bowl, and whoa, it's signing day. When, when did that happen? And then Christmas. If you're a coach, I think you probably like it this way, maybe. I think if you're the coach at Vanderbilt, you like it this way. Yes, which there wasn't a whole lot of pomp around the February date anyway. And and you have high academics. Kids are going to go there, and you could get kids stolen away if That's, poached, yeah. if you get to February. So yeah, you want to sign them and get them get it done. Well, these schools like Alabama, Georgia, LSU, some things might fall through there in the last week in February before the February signing date, and yeah, they can come take whoever they want from from a lot of these schools. So I think yeah, a school like Vanderbilt, Kentucky, you know, and 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 certainly the 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 non Power Five schools, I think it does help them. I just don't like restricting options for for the kids. It's it's gotten where you have to sign early. Pretty if much. I was a parent, though, I think I would want it the early date. I think if I was a parent, and I guess it depends on if you're the parent of a two star, or four star, whatever. I would think 
if you're the parent of a prospect, okay, this is your choice. You decided. You took your visits. This is it. Let's do it and let's get it over with. Rather if than you know. if you know, I, I just I hate the kid getting a, a thousand text messages every day of January and early February with you know some forty year old assistant coach asking a seventeen year old, "How's your day today? Have you been thinking about me? I've been thinking about you and." How well you could do in our four three defense, you know all this like ridiculous scenario of how you recruit kids it's really i don't know it's it's the the whole process is really odd to me, but i this is what it is I also think it changes the time frame a little bit of firing coaches. they still get fired at the same time late in the season, but there's a little bit more urgency now because used to you could. You fire a coach in late November, early December. You hire the new coach in about a week or two, and then they get about a month, six weeks to recruit and then to retain the previous coach's commits, where now it's you fire a coach, you got to bring the guy in, and you got to hold that class together as well as you can. And usually that class is it's a wash at that point. I mean, yes. I think Jeremy Pruitt had that happen at Tennessee where that first class, just go ahead and you're you're not going to be able to do much with this time frame. Right. You try to hold together about two-thirds of the class and tread water mm-hmm. and figure it out next year. Well, in Vanderbilt's case, they kept Derek Mason. They came out with, uh, what, two games left in the season, said we're going to retain him. On, on one end, I guess you can say that has held together the class that they have so far. On the other hand, I think they could potentially suffer. I think they have suffered for it because – you know, right now, as we do this podcast, they have 13 public commitments. They're going to end up signing maybe 16, maybe 17, 18. A lot of those, it, it's a small senior class. So I think they started with the idea of signing about 16. But you have a couple kids transfer. You'll have a fourth-year junior that decides he's not going to come back. So the numbers kind of change a little bit. But they're going to sign a small class. They have 13 commitments as we record this. I think they could lose one or two. I think they'll gain two or three after that. But what you get right now is guys taking visits elsewhere and being told, hey, you know that coach is gone in a year. Derek Mason's not going to be here. Unless he goes to a bowl game, he's gone. And usually if you're recruiting against Vandy, you're not even going to say that. You're just going to say he's he's done after next year. And that that's hurting Vandy recruiting right now. And it's hurting them from getting in on anybody else. Right now they have uh, all three stars except one. They have a long snapper from Pearl Cone who's a two-star that's understandable. He's a long snapper. You're not going to have five-star long snappers. But that puts Vandy right now in the 24-7 rankings as 62. 62 in the class. Usually they're in the upper 40s. Last year they were at 57, which was regarded as a pretty big letdown. Two years ago they were at 41, which uh, and there were two teams behind them in the SEC. So that was Derek Mason's best job. But boy, when you get up into the 60s of the national rankings, that's that's trouble. And the fact that they could lose a couple of guys, I, th- I think there's a decent chance they get out of this class without signing a four-star. We'll, we'll talk more about that next week on signing day. Maybe they add somebody. But I think it's watering down their class by the fact that they have a coach that that everybody on earth knows is on the hot seat. Well, and, and also, look around the SEC right now. You had several teams like Vanderbilt, where there was a pretty serious question about whether or not that team was going to keep its coach, South Carolina most notably. And, you know, Vanderbilt stuck with Derek Mason. South Carolina stuck with Will, Will Muschamp. But other schools did not. Missouri took a step that I was a little surprised they, they took. And for Vanderbilt's sake, 
if you look at the hires now, the uh, out of uh, Missouri, Arkansas, and Ole Miss, the best hire clearly was Ole Miss, and and that was the one that was closest to Vanderbilt, and and could conceivably be competing more with Vanderbilt. And I feel like if there's any coach who's going to make a splash here in this last little lead up to to this, it's going to be Lane Kiffin. Sure, we know for all the baggage he might bring in other ways. Lane Kiffin can recruit, and he can coach. He can coach offense. He's been successful everywhere he's he's been in terms of X's and O's. And, and people know what his offense looks like. It's fun. And in him being there is a splash. Like, you could ask most recruits around the country today, who did Ole Miss hire? And they go, oh, Lane Kiffin. Who did Missouri hire? And they'll say, I can't pronounce his name. Arkansas. I don't know who this yeah. guy it, So th- there's a splash element to what Ole Miss did. That's what Vanderbilt's missing out on here. And it, it yeah, it's going to hurt them, not just from the standpoint of, is that coach going to be here beyond next season? But there's just not that kind of excitement that comes with a new hire. And we, we talked about that when the decision, Malcolm Turner made the decision to uh, to, to keep Derek Mason. You're, it's a gamble, but it's a gamble that, that can pay off pretty big. And I think nothing against Matt Luke, but Ole Miss got a lot better with Lane Kiffin, in my opinion. Yeah, and the and on topic, as I mentioned before, is each Vandy team going forward or backward. And we'll get to basketball here in a little bit, maybe mention baseball. But that that's, I think, the, the conundrum that Vandy is in, is that the we, – we've, we've talked about on podcasts before. You mentioned that should they have kept Derek Mason or not. Well, they did. Not necessarily the program is it moving forward, not facilities or any of that, but just the team, the roster, is it moving forward. You know, I, I think about baseball – uh, with Vandy, okay, they won the national championship. You can say, well, that's you know, that's that's as good as it gets. But they're still recruiting at the same high level. You can look at the roster coming back for next season and say that roster may be as good as the previous one. You can look at last year and say that roster was better than the previous one. And so wherever you're at, you have to try to get better. Uh, you know, one thing about the James Franklin teams, you know, they were ranked in his first two years recruiting. They were at 49 and 46. So basically what Derek Mason did early in his tenure recruiting, that's what James Franklin did. His last year, uh, Vandy was ranked 26th. They, they got better. They improved the roster. Now, now to say that, that James Franklin was just bringing five-star after five-star in here, that's an exaggeration, somewhat of a myth that's been built over the years. But he, he had three stars, and then he added a couple of fours. Then he added another four. And then he added, and then he had no two-stars. And I know these stars all, it's, you know, it, sometimes a two star is better than a three and a three is better than a four or whatever. But I think these grades are at least accurate enough in a general sense. Derek Mason's classes have gone from the first four or five years where he would have almost all three stars and a couple of fours. Now, this class right now with a week left in signing day, they're all three stars and one two star. Again, I don't want to get too mixed up in that, but that's why the class is overall not ranked very high because there's not a splash in there. And, and the numbers are low. Yes, and the that, numbers are that, low. That affects it too. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, this roster has to be better next year or they're not going to improve on what they just did this 3-9 and nine season. And I think that comes from from at least two areas. The defense has to be better with virtually the same players because they get back most of their defense. Can they do that? I don't know. Maybe. Like I said, they get most of them back. Doesn't necessarily are going to be better because you get everybody back. But that's one. 
And number two is you've got to hit a home run or at least a double or triple at quarterback. Right now, Ken Seals is there. He's a three-star commit. Looks like he's going to sign next week. He's out of Texas. He'll be an early enrollee, so he'll be here in the spring. I don't think you can hit your wagon, though, to a three-star true freshman quarterback. That just usually doesn't work immediately in the SEC. That's a long-term bet, not a short-term bet. They've got a they've got a couple of transfers they're looking at that they that they may add. I think they're going to have to add somebody, not another not another high school kid. Seals is the guy there, but probably have to add maybe a transfer if they can. And we'll probably look at that next week. But is the roster getting better? And with what they have right now on their signing class, I don't think it is. And if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And you mentioned Lane Kiffin, and we're talking about other, these other coaching changes. These classes will get better in the next week. I'm not so sure Vanderbilt's will. And I think I think that's the that's the sense that I get that they're not they're not staying still. They're they're moving backward. I think you hit on the big one, which is quarterback. Um, when Vanderbilt over the last couple decades when Vanderbilt's been good they've been right at quarterback and that you have got to one of the things this team did have this year I thought was they had an NFL caliber running back they had an NFL caliber tight end and they had certainly a playmaking receiver Mm -hmm. and and I, I think Vanderbilt has to be scary at the skill positions in some way and if they're they've got to be better than other the SEC is going to be so good across the board that Vanderbilt has to be good enough to make plays against teams that in general are better than them and have players who can try to make up that gap they did they had that this year and they weren't able to exploit it so they're not going to have that next year what happens you 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 have to have you don't just have to have a a average quarterback you have to have a very good quarterback if this team's going to be competitive well i I think well and that leads me to another question a lot of people i'm sure listening to this right now are saying well what about the coaching staff what about improving the coaching staff i've got a number of questions this week from fans and how about this parents of players i've been asked this question this week any any coaches leaving anybody getting fired and with some of the parents it's please tell me a couple of these coaches are getting fired (laughs) which is that's not a good look but uh uh, as of right now, we record this. No, I've been monitoring this for about the last week or so, pretty closely. If a coach is going to leave, so maybe by the time you listen to this, there may be a staff change. But l- let me just say this: sometimes, especially with the early signing day, you don't hear about coaching changes till after signing day. Now they may be told privately. Sometimes it'll it'll slip out a little prematurely. But you see on social media a lot of coaches taking visits and seeing kids and all that. Coaches, head coaches, if they can hold off on making announcements of staff changes, they'll do it after signing day, and here's why. Sometimes little Johnny, the running back, the the three-star running back that you're trying to get, really likes that running back's coach that's recruiting him. Yep. That is that is very yeah. very much a yep. part of this game. Yep. And if you fire him, I don't know if I want to go there anymore. Or I like that offensive coordinator. Wait, he's not the offensive coordinator. He, you're demoting him. You're you know you're and, seeing this other places too. Yeah, and, sure. And yeah, and and, and I get, other than coaches leaving for better jobs or their staff changes already, you're not seeing a lot of turnover because of that. And some people hear that and say, "Well, that's sleazy. They're, you're lying to the kids." Let, let me let me let you in on something. They all lie to each other. 
the players lie, the parents lie, the high school coaches lie, the 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 football head coaches lie, the assistant coaches lie. Um, maybe even just twist the truth a little bit. But this is a this is a sleazy game recruiting, and each side or all sides are not telling the full story to the other sides. And you know, if your kid's being recruited and you think I am the absolute top recruit that they want, well, they've told five other kids at your position the same thing. That's how it goes, and that's not Vanderbilt. That's every. That's absolutely everywhere. So sometimes staff changes are announced after signing day when those kids are already signed. It doesn't. It doesn't affect Vandy that much because usually I found that kids that are going to go to Vandy that are that academic standing are going there regardless of who, especially an assistant coach is, because they're going there for the university. But it still affects some. So that's why if you haven't seen any staff changes announced yet. They may still happen, but they may happen a week from now. Even if it's not staff changes, a philosophy change on offense has to happen. Yes, and Derek Mason mentioned that after the with the Tennessee game. He says offense will look different. Now, how different? Uh, I don't think they're running the option next year. Well, and it's like I say, I do think the defense will get better, and that's a fair expectation with, with a lot of guys back. Uh, but offensively, how in the world are they going to get better when they lost who they're losing who they're losing and, and you don't know who their quarterback is yeah and the problem was always quarterback that hasn't been fixed yet and and now you don't have some talent at the skill positions that other teams would have to would have to respect yeah i mean they had bad options at quarterback this past year and the best of their bad options is gone riley neal so and, and people say well what about mohassan mohassan Last last season ended by concussion. This season ended by concussion. He didn't play the last seven weeks, and I'm not sure we saw enough of him anyway to to really know. So don't don't hit your wagon to Mohassan. I'm not even sure if he's back at all next year. I'm not reporting that. I'm just saying when a guy has multiple concussions and the last one puts him out for almost two months, that's not who you think is going to start 12 games next season. And I don't think there's any question. Riley Neal was was the one you would have to say was the best best of so as that was the one that was going to get them wins if anybody i guess long term mo was good though in the missouri game he, he helped them but that was that was a package of plays that wasn't a 12 game offense but when you have the worst offense in the sec by a pretty wide margin your 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 changes need to be comprehensive so we'll, we'll look at signing day more uh, at more individual players, maybe in tone of the class a week from now. But let me transition over to basketball because I started off the podcast saying, "Is this is your Vanderbilt team moving forward or backward?" And that's the only two options. Well, basketball, we are uh, we're a little ways into the non-conference season so far. Men's basketball six and two. That's an important number because last year they hit this break. It's about a 10, 11 day break. They were six and two last year. This was after the Darius Garland injury. Six and two, and then they finished, I think it was three and 21 after that. So things were still kind of peachy at this point a year ago. They actually went seven and two because uh, they beat, uh, at this point in the season, they beat a ranked Arizona State team last year to improve to seven and two. So I guess that was two and 21 from there. So the collapse came not long after this. Will a collapse come this season? Everything looks okay right now. I wouldn't say it looks great, but it looks okay at six and two. And I, I see some positives out of Jerry Stackhouse's team, and I don't mean current. I see moving forward uh, a reason for optimism there. I would agree. Um, from what I've seen, uh, I'm not sure this is a tournament team or anything like that, but I, I, I would be surprised if there's a collapse. They 
They, I don't see twenty game losing streak no, in the future here. No, I, I think this is the kind of team that if they shoot well, they have the ability to beat a team they probably shouldn't beat. Uh, um, yep, and I think that will happen probably a time or two this season. But I think over the course of the whole season, they'll 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 be some ups and downs, but not like last year. And uh, unless there are key injuries, and there's you know basically two guys they need to have on the court to 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 be as good as they can be. Um, and I think, you know, I think the, the big concern I would have is in the post, once you get into SEC play and these games start coming fast and furious and it's physical and it's tiring and the bigs are bigger in yeah. the SEC. Yeah. We'll, we'll see at that point, but I will say I, I've, I've liked what I've seen from Stackhouse so far. I, I think this is a, a well-coached team that plays hard and I, I, I think they'll, I don't think they're, they're going to have wild success this year, but I think they are the kind of team that you might not want to have to play in the SEC tournament I think they'll get better I, I tell you what I, a few things I like about how Jer- what Jerry Stackhouse has done so far he's made some forward-thinking moves and he's made a couple of bold moves forward-thinking moves uh, and this kind of ties into the bold move he started Scotty Pippen Jr. true freshman and he started Dylan DeSue every game except the first one after the first one he put DeSue in there DeSue is their four-star um, power forward. So he's starting two freshmen, and he's made it clear that Scottie Pippen needs to be on the court because he's their point guard of the future. He needs to see how to run the team and run it now because that's a guy that's, I mean, I don't know, maybe he ends up being an NBA prospect like his dad. I don't know, but he's a guy that's probably going to be here for four years. And so Jerry Stackhouse is saying, I want him out there day one, game one. He is their point guard long term. I'm going to bring Saban Lee off the bench. And at first, he kind of looked at that a little odd. Wait, you're taking potentially an all-conference player and bringing him off the bench. Now, they bring him off the bench about four four minutes into the game, so it's not that big of a deal. But his thought was, let's get Pippen running the team because he's going to be the guy that's going to run the team long-term. Let's have Neesmith, our top scorer, be out there and, and go ahead and, and, and be, the, be the number one scorer and then bring Lee off the bench and then you can kind of stagger those scores. It's, a, it's slightly unorthodox, but it's a, it's a move that he believed in and so far it's worked pretty well. I mean, Saban Lee's going about 28, 30 minutes a game, so he's still getting his minutes. Uh, Neesmith and Lee are one of the top three scoring duos in the country. Saban Lee is at career highs and points and assists and rebounds and field goal percentage and free throw percentage and everything. So you're getting the best out of Saban Lee right now by using him in that way. DeSue was not necessarily one of their top five players right off the bat, but Jerry Stackhouse looked at it and said he's going to be. So let's go ahead and start him. So it's very forward-thinking. It's very, let's make sure this team gets better over time. Now, do they have the horses to get it done in SEC play? I think you hit on it there. Their, their posts are limited. But it, it is a very, I think, I, I think what, it, what you wanted to see out of Jerry Stackhouse after the Bryce Drew era was have a fix. If a problem comes, have it fixed. And in fact, if you can get ahead of the problem, that's even better. Now, Bryce Drew was dealt a terrible, terrible blow in Darius Garland going down with the injury. It's pretty hard for anybody to recover from that. But I thought there was a lot of kind of after that injury kind of sitting and thinking, well, what do we do now? I don't know what to do now. Where I think Stackhouse more of the feeling of let's keep moving forward 
and let's get ahead of this thing, and let's make sure we're better a week from now than we are today. He hasn't suffered a bad injury so far, but I don't get the sense that they look at this. I get the sense they look at this a lot different than the Bryce Drew staff did. And in mentioning, you know, playing Pippen, and he's he's playing for the future a little bit, and I think that's a good thing. You know, he's identifying pretty early the guys that are going to be a key part of of a, of a rebuild, I guess you'd say, of of the program and. Again, I don't think you're you're going to necessarily see that equate to a huge amount of wins this season, but I think they'll they'll be a competitive team. They'll be a team that a ranked team could come into Memorial and get beat this year. That's probably going to happen, uh, and that happens most years. It just didn't. didn't and, and last I think year. and I think a lot of Vandy fans would just like that in Memorial again, where if you come in here and our guys shoot the lights out, we're going to beat you, even though you're better than us. And Aaron Neesmith. I'm not sure if I would take another shooter from 25 feet in the country in college basketball than him. There there was no excuse whatsoever for Vanderbilt to not win a home game in the conference last year. Yeah. They have the they have perhaps the best home court advantage. Opponents hate it. They, they hate going there. I mean, you know, you could play places with atmosphere like Cameron Indoor, okay, but in terms of just logistics of playing the basketball game, they have such an advantage in that gym. And they, they should take advantage of it. Uh, to lose 20 in a row last year and lose 18 conference games in the tournament, that's that's inexcusable. Now, could that happen again? I, I, again, I don't think so. I will say there's a stretch coming up where we're going to know more about the Vandy men's basketball team. They play Liberty on Saturday. Liberty is 11-0. and They were in the tournament last year. Now, they haven't beat a whole lot of good teams so far to get to 11-0. and how is Liberty becoming this athletic powerhouse? I know. All of a sudden, you know got, it's the Hugh Freeze effect. That's yeah. what it is. But Liberty was pretty good last year. Vandy beat Buffalo the other night. That was a very, very good tournament team last year. They're not as good as they were last year, but it's a quality win to some extent. But they've got uh, they've got about two or three mid major teams, and then you get into playing SMU in early January. There's a stretch of about. Oh, three of the next four, maybe four of the next five games for the men's basketball team that's going to tell us kind of where their ceiling is so far. Because their ceiling at this point is kind of that Buffalo, Tulsa, Richmond. They lost close ones to Tulsa and Richmond. Buffalo, Tulsa, Richmond, and then maybe Liberty. And that's an improvement over where they finished last season, obviously. But it goes up another notch after that when you get into SEC play. So they just need to keep improving to make sure there's not a collapse. You do like a team that can score. They can score. Yes. And they have two proven scores that can score in different ways, which I do like. And post concerns, depth concerns, that's all going to become an issue in SEC play when it comes to taking the entirety of the season. But again, I think that's a team that's capable of beating anybody on any night if they get hot. My one qualm on Scotty Pippen Jr. is shoot the ball, dude. You can, I mean, the guy can shoot from three, but he looks to distribute it so much, which is what they like out of him, and I get that. But he can shoot the three. They they need they need other shooters besides. He's got a pretty mature game for a freshman. Yes, he does. Yes. Uh, now I will say some of his drives that have been in non-conference against SWAC teams or Summit teams or whatever they played so far, the mid majors, he will get in the paint. He'll do the little head fake, he'll do the little pass fake, and then he'll try to put up a layup. And you start to see with some of the better mid-majors lately, that shot gets thrown thrown back. And when he gets into SEC play, I think he's going to find that gets thrown back even more. So he's learning, freshman's learning. It's a little different between 18-year-old AAU and, uh, and college basketball. But it's, it's good for him. It's good for him. 
women's basketball quickly. Uh, women's basketball six and three. They play Sunday against Eastern Kentucky. That's the Colonels, maybe. Is that right? I should know yeah, that. That is, yeah. that is right. Anyway, so they're, I mean, they're in a similar situation. Different situation, though, in terms of the coach. Stephanie White is essentially in a contract year. This is the fourth year of, I think, a five-year contract. So this is kind of the year you judge her own. I don't know if they give her a year extension or whatever, but this is kind of where you decide, is she the, is she the coach moving forward or are you going to cut ties and start over? The season has started very well. In terms of record, but I think also in terms of identity, Stephanie has tried to, throughout her whole tenure, try to make this an athletic lineup that can run. They didn't look like that in year one at all. In year two, very little. Year three, not so much. Year four, they kind of look like that. Jordan Cambridge, the point guard, local girl at Innsworth, has, has changed that quite a bit. They've recruited more athletes. Here's the setback that you're going to have to judge uh, Steph on this year in this this uh, team. They lost Brene Alexander. The uh, She's kind of a small forward, sort of a three. Very good player. Uh, their best probably three-point shooter. She's out for the year now with a ruptured Achilles. They also lost a freshman for a little while. You know, how much are you going to judge uh, Steph moving forward playing without one of her best players? They still have a lineup that can win, but I don't know how much that changes maybe the perspective of, you know, well, this was a team that could win 17, 18 games. Well, now it's a team that could win 14 or 15 games. I don't know the answer to that. I will say the best thing going for Steph right now is that she her team has an identity that they've chased for a while, and they've, they've finally caught up to it a little bit. And having athletes and being able to run, she's recruited well. Her freshman class has athletes. If you haven't gone to see the women's team, there's a freshman named Coy Love, who's one of the better performing freshmen in the conference right now. A girl that can score, aggressive, pretty versatile, and she's, she's recruited a number of girls like that. We'll see how they adjust, though, without Brene Alexander. They need to be able to shoot, and they can't shoot. And Brene Alexander was maybe their best perimeter shooter. If they don't have that three-point shot in conference play, they're going to be very one-dimensional. So moving forward, moving backward, the football team right now looks like they're moving backward. They ju- They just are. The men's basketball team... Looks like they're moving forward, and we'll wait and see a couple weeks from now if we still think that. But overall, I think they're moving forward. Women's basketball team may be forward, but there's a big if there because of the injury to Brene Alexander and conference play coming up. Baseball team, which I mentioned earlier, is a national champion and has maybe the best recruiting class in the country. So you could say there's nowhere to go but down, but... Baseball going to be all right. Yeah, I think they're going to be fine. I, th- I feel like their coaching situation is in a... Feel like feel like that Corbin guy has things figured out. So that's uh, I'm trying to think of the stocks right now. Baseball's up, football's down. Men's basketball is eking up. Women's basketball is kind of holding steady, and we're waiting to see which direction it goes. There, there might be concerns in the Vanderbilt athletic department. Baseball ain't one. No, no, not at all, not at all. Okay, so a week from now, we will look at signing day. Maybe things get better between now and then. Again, Vandy is at number 62 in the 24-7 rankings. I don't, I mean, they're going to say stars don't matter. But boy, you better not be in the 60s on signing day. You can be 52 or 48, but you can't be 62. I, I don't think, given where they were 
for a lot of the last decade. I don't think it's a disaster. It's just not any better. Right. And and I said it before, the difference between being 45 and being 62 is a four-star, or is a couple of four-stars. Right. I've got a story coming out later this week. I've written this before. Derek Mason's classes have had, I think, 83 84% of his signees have been three-stars. So that's what the program is. It's a three-star program, but they've sprinkled in a few four-star players. By the way, Kyle Shermer was one of those four-star players, and that's a quarterback who kind of defined the last, you know, four years, two bowls, three wins over Tennessee. That was that was the difference between being mediocre and being and, good. And, and even before enough. that, you know, Jay Cutler, Jordan Rogers, they've had they've had they've had answers at that position. They don't have an answer right now. No, and that I, I think if if they're able to get some sort of transfer, somebody that 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 can step in and play that position immediately, then I think it drastically changes the rest of the class just just from that because that's what they need. But now, I, what what has happened to Vanderbilt football in the last year is the status quo is now not good enough. And uh, you know, when you go to a bowl game and and you've had a fairly consistent run of, of success, certainly by, by the standards of the program, then the status quo at that point is, is, is acceptable. But when you have a season like what they had, now you're looking at, well, how do you get better? And it's not easy to look at this recruiting class right now and see how that would happen. It's a good point. We'll end on that. That does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And drop us a review and a rating. We like five stars. For Gentry Estes, I'm Adam Sparks. We'll see you next time.